Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot for the worship. That was awesome. That's my brother, everybody. Give it up. Yeah, there you go. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, as Holly said, we're in our basic series, and I'm, I'm so pumped uh, to be a part of this series. I just love the concept of getting back to the basics. Uh, it's just something I love, and um, I've actually been tasked with uh, talking about communion this morning. Actually, I volunteered <laughs> to talk about communion. Um, I've been in church my whole life, and so this is really uh, a subject that I've really had a lot of exposure to and I've been taught a lot about. And so I really wanted to dig into it for myself to kind of just refresh everything and find something new about communion. Uh, A lot of times when we just do things in church a lot, sometimes they just become uh, normal. And so I I wanted to really refresh myself uh, and really get a passion back for communion. So that's why I volunteer for this message. I don't really remember exactly how old I was. I was probably about eight uh, when I took my first communion. But what I do remember for sure is that the, the, the night before we, I was going to take communion, uh, my parents uh, who are sitting here, which I'm super excited that you guys are here, uh, they, they, yeah, you can go ahead and clap for them, that's fine. <laughs> but my, my parents sat me down in our living room and we listened to a message that our pastor had preached on communion. And so we listened to it and they asked me questions and made sure I understood everything. But the thing that stuck with me the most about that was they made sure that I understood the importance and the gravity of what I was doing. And that's something that really stuck with me. And so mom, dad, thank you so much for for leading me so well in that moment. I appreciate it. Um, We have a lot to get through this morning. uh, And so I'm just gonna pray and we're gonna get started. So let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to, to come and to gather with your people. God, just to worship you, to lift your name up. God, I pray that your spirit would just fall in this place, that it would fall in our hearts, make us sensitive to your word. God, I pray that you would enlighten our eyes to the beautiful gift that you have given us in communion. God, I pray that we would just savor it as a precious thing that we can do to remember you. So Father, I pray now that you would just fill my imperfect words. God, that you would speak through me. God, that seeds would be planted and that you would bear fruit. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1555, and the Catholic Queen Mary has sentenced a a man named John Rogers to burn at the stake for treason against the throne. John was a husband, a father of 10. Mike Crowey, we have some work to do. (laughs) He was a husband, he was a father of 10, he was a local pastor. He was also one of the first people to to translate the Catholic-required Latin Bible into English so that the layman could read it. The past several years of John's life had been tumultuous to say the least. So before Mary, her younger brother Edward had actually been king and he had embraced the Protestant way of faith and he governed the country as such. And so that made life a lot easier for people like John. But when Mary took the throne, things changed very quickly. See, Mary uh, embraced the Catholic way of faith. And because of the political climate of the day, there was an inseparable intermingling between the throne and the church. And so when Protestants began to uh, vocally and publicly reject the Catholic teaching of communion, persecution hit an all-time high. You see, communion was the central pillar and still is the central pillar of the Catholic church. They call it the Eucharist. And so to undermine the central pillar of the church was to undermine the power of the queen herself. 
and that was treason. And John had willingly and knowingly committed that treason. So the day came for John's execution and he was ripped from his cell and he was forced down the streets of the people that he once pastored and he walked to his death. That day, John Rogers was burned to ashes and he became the first Protestant martyr under the reign of Queen Mary, who would soon become known as Bloody Mary, and rightly so. Over the next three years, Queen Mary would personally order the execution by burning at the stake of 288 people, including men, women, and children. And the point of contention was communion. The question was whether you believed as the Catholics taught that after the priest pronounced the words of consecration that the physical body and blood of Jesus was present in the bread and in the wine. Or if you believed as the Protestants taught and I believe as Jesus taught his disciples that the bread and the wine are symbols of his blood and of his body and that's how we are to remember him. See, I I tell you this story for one reason. Because while, while I'm happy that there's no more bloodshed over this subject, at least as far as I know, at one point in history, both Catholics and Protestants thought it important enough to kill each other over. That went both ways. And again, while I don't condone the killing of anybody, especially somebody else who claims to be a child of God over a disagreement on what we believe on, it begs the question, have we given communion a back seat? Have we become lackadaisical in our doctrine and our practice of communion? And so my hope today, my goal today is to educate us more about communion and and to hopefully enrich that experience for us, to help us understand more about it and be able to experience it as the precious gift that God gave us. So let's get started. Well, I'm gonna be answering four main questions this morning about communion. They're gonna be what is communion? Who is communion for? How are we to take communion? And why is it important? Okay, so those are gonna be our four main points. We're gonna answer all those questions. What is communion? Who is it for? How do we take it? Why is it important? All right, so let's get started. The first question, what is communion? Now this could literally take an entire series in itself. I'm not even joking you. So I'm just gonna try and simplify it as much as possible with a definition, okay? And this is a definition that I've kind of uh, come up with over my research and studying this over the last several weeks and in a passage that we're gonna get to. And this definition is also kind of a summary of the rest of my message, so we're gonna be putting flesh on these bones, okay? So uh, pay attention here. So the definition of communion that I have is this. Communion is a holy moment of reverent examination and action where Christians remember Jesus Christ and unify around the greatest equalizer, their need of salvation and the price that was paid for it, okay? So the primary scripture that, that formed that definition is found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty through 29. So I want you to turn there. Uh, and while you're turning there, I just wanna give you a little bit of background, okay? Context is always key when you're reading the Bible. So in this passage, Paul is writing his first letter to the church in Corinth. All right, at the time that he is writing this letter, the church is about the same age as Church 214, two, maybe three years old, okay? So it's a young church. The church is mainly composed of Gentiles, okay, which means that previous to these two or three years, every member of the church, or 
probably practically every member of the church, was a practicing pagan. So that, that plays into a lot of how Paul writes to, to the, the church in Corinth because many of their previous ways of practicing and ways of thinking had bled into the, into the teachings of the church and into the practice of the church. And so much of Paul's writing to the Corinthians is, is instructional, it's doctrinal, and it's also correctional, directing them back to the truth. And so that's where we pick up here in verse 20 of chapter 11. And it reads this. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. All right, so there's a lot to, to unpack there, so let's nail down a couple things and kind of go back to our definition. So we already talked about what is communion. We gave our definition. The second most easiest black and white question to answer is, who is communion for? All right, the answer to that is communion is for Christians. All right, and how do we know that? Well, Paul is writing to the members of the Church of Corinth. He's writing to Christians. He's instructing Christians about communion. Therefore, we can assume that communion is for Christians. Also, we see just by the tone of what he is saying here and the warnings that are given that communion is not a light thing that's, that's being done. And it requires a basic knowledge of the gospel, a basic reliance on Jesus as your savior in order to properly participate in communion. All right, that would then indicate that communion is for Christians. All right, this is pretty cut and dry. There's not a whole lot of argument in the Protestant or Catholic church about this subject. Communion is for Christians, okay? Going a little bit deeper into that in a little bit of a gray area, the question may arise, well, what about children? Can children take communion? Okay, now there's nothing in the Bible that specifically addresses that issue, so I can't say, oh, you know, this is hard, fast truth. I can't give you a Bible verse for this, okay? But the Bible gives us a lot of information to work on. Okay, so I do believe that this is biblically-based wisdom. So addressing that question. First and foremost, is your child a true born-again Christian? That's a requirement. It doesn't matter what age, is your child a Christian? Okay? Not does your child live in a Christian home, not do they say Jesus every once in a while or maybe pray at dinner sometimes. Is your child a Christian? Okay? Maybe this is a, a good litmus test that you can use for yourself. 
Has your child expressed and experienced a genuine need for a savior and had an encounter with God that expresses that need and a reliance on Jesus as their one and only savior? Wanna know if you're a Christian? Have you had an encounter with God and expressed and experienced a genuine need for a savior and a reliance on Jesus as your one and only savior? If the answer to that question is no, either about yourself or about your child, I believe the Bible would indicate that it would be irresponsible to offer your child communion or to take communion yourself, okay? So parents, this is where you have to do the hard work and make a judgment call. This is where you have to know your kids' hearts so well. And men, as the primary spiritual leader of your home, this, this responsibility falls on you. You have to do the hard work and dig into your kid's heart see what's in there and make a judgment call on this. But what if I, you know, say that my kid can't have communion and then they start whining and make a scene? Well, first discipline your child for whining, okay? <laughs> it's biblical. The Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness whining and God wasn't happy about it, okay? <laughs> discipline your child for whining. And then, this is a perfect opportunity to lead your kid spiritually. You can explain everything to them. You can explain how important it is. You can explain what everything symbolizes without actually letting them partake of the bread and the juice. It's so much easier to just give them a snack, pray over them, tell them a good story, and everybody's happy. But this is not a snack. This represents the holy body and blood of our Savior. This is a big deal. Additionally, in simply giving your child communion, you may be missing the very opportunity that the Holy Spirit uses to speak into their sweet little heart and have them understand that they need a savior. You may be missing the perfect opportunity to lead your child into a relationship with Jesus. By simply giving them communion, you may be missing that opportunity. The next question that we can answer, and this is gonna take uh, quite a long time, so kind of bear with me on this. There's gonna be several sub-points within this. But the next question that we can answer about communion is how do we take it? In what way are we to take communion? Okay? So let's go back to our definition for a second and kind of break it down. Communion is a holy moment of reverent examination and action. Okay, let's just stop there. So communion is a holy moment all right, holy means set aside and elevated above other things. Okay, so how is communion holy? Well, it's set aside by who is able to participate. We've already covered that. It's for Christians, okay? It's also a time that we set aside in order to, to remember the body and the blood of our holy Savior. It's also through that body and blood that the curtain separating us from the holy of holies was torn allowing us access into the presence of a holy God. Communion is a holy moment. All right, those are just a couple of the reasons why communion is holy. Communion is also a time of reverent examination and reflection. Paul is telling the Corinthians in, in, his, in his letter in chapter 11 that personal examination is not just a suggestion when you're taking communion. It's a requirement. It's necessary. And we see that in verse 28 where it says this, let a person examine themselves. And then in verse 29, for whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body, 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. In taking communion, are you examining yourself? Or have you been eating and drinking judgment? Going further into that, and kind of going back and addressing children, and if they can take communion, can your child examine themselves? So what does that really mean? What does it mean, what does it look like to examine ourselves? So again, this is a good litmus test both for you and for your child. The best way I can put it is this. Can you or can they contemplate their standing with God, address current heart issues, ask forgiveness for those heart issues, and then repent? Can you or can your child understand their current standing with God, address current heart issues, ask for forgiveness for those issues, and then repent? It's what examination looks like. If the answer to that is no, then I believe you've been taking communion irresponsibly or unworthily. If the answer, to, if the answer about your child is no, maybe, maybe you do think they are a Christian, but you don't know if they can examine themselves. The Bible would indicate that it's probably irresponsible to offer your child communion in that case. Okay? Honestly, in my own life, there have been times when I haven't taken that time of reflection and examination. And, and in preparation for this message, <clears throat> over the last several weeks, I've had to deal with that. I've been on my knees in, in our little guest bedroom that is actually an office. And through tears, I had to ask God for forgiveness for, for not properly honoring and revering his body and his blood. And I've, asked, I've had to ask for continued grace and forgiveness in moving forward with that. And maybe that's something that you need to do this morning. Something else that we need to touch on regarding how we are take, to take communion is in verse 24 through 26. Verse 24 through 26 says this. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Two things I wanna draw from this section here. First, we are to take communion in remembrance of Jesus. We are to remember the perfect life of our Savior that sacrificed himself for us. We are to call to mind the grace of our Savior, Jesus. We're to remember his life, the way that he lived, the way that he loved, the people that he loved, the way that he sought obedience and intimacy with his Father in perfect humility. We're also supposed to remember his death and even most, more importantly, remember his death. Remember the flesh being ripped from his back. Remember the crown of thorns pressed into his head and the cross that he walked with. Remember the nails driven through his hands and through his feet. Remember every agonizing breath that he took on the cross. Breaths that he used to forgive the very people that were 
making him have this misery, that were making him go through the suffering. Remember with that one breath, the greatest words ever spoken. It is finished. It is finished. We are to remember Jesus in communion. Secondly, and the second point here, in taking communion, we are proclaiming his death. We see this in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in taking communion, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. You are proclaiming the gospel publicly and personally. You are individually and publicly proclaiming that you recognize and believe that Jesus Christ is your savior and that you're accepting his body and his blood as payment for your sins. Additionally, in proclaiming his death, you're also identifying with his death. Let me ask you this. In taking communion, are you dying to yourself? In taking communion, are you identifying with Jesus and his death, and are you dying to your old self to be raised to new life in Jesus? If you are not dying to yourself, there is no room to be raised to new life in Jesus. There's no room for growth. If you are not dying to yourself, there is no room for growth. So in taking communion, are you identifying with his death and putting your old self to death? If not, then you're not living in the victory of God's grace. You're not living in the victory that this represents. So to summarize the question, how are we to take communion? We are to take communion in reverent examination of ourselves, in remembrance of Jesus and his death, and by doing so, we proclaim the gospel. So if this is the way that we're supposed to take communion, if that's how it's supposed to go, then what about addressing verse 27 where it says taking communion in an unworthy manner? So verse 27 says this, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. To put it another way, how could we be taking communion unworthily? So maybe you, you are a Christian, okay, you'd be taking communion worthily in that case. If you're not a Christian, we've already covered that. You're taking communion unworthily. We've, we've been there. So if the answer to whether you're a Christian is yes, then what if you've had a bad day? Or a bad week, a bad year, bad month? Maybe on the way to church today you fought with your wife or laid into your kid for something insignificant. Would you be taking communion unworthily then? In short, the answer is no. Okay, and the answer is no, and this is the best news. The answer is no because the body and the blood of Jesus are not for perfect people. The body and blood of Jesus didn't buy perfect people. If we were perfect, there would have been no need for a sacrifice. There would have been no need for a savior. The very fact that you have insufficiencies, the very fact that you sin should draw you even closer into the grace of God. It should make you experience his body and his blood so much more deeply. It should be so much more precious to you when you understand that you are a sinner. So if sin in itself doesn't make you unworthy of taking communion, what does? 
If sin in itself does not make you unworthy to take communion, what does? I believe it's this. By rejecting the opportunity that we have in taking it to remember who Jesus was, what he did on the cross, and why he did it. We take it unworthily by going through the motions and passing it by as something that we just do at church every once in a while. We take it unworthily by not coming to the table and standing in complete awe and humility and thanksgiving that God from the beginning of time saw you and said, I love you and I will do anything to bring you into my family. I will give my son for you. I will give his body and blood as payment for you. But do we remember it? Or do we simply drink some juice and eat some bread? Taking communion unworthily is not giving what it represents, God's grace to you, the proper honor and respect that it deserves. I love Hebrews 10.29. It addresses this perfectly, and and normally I, I use the ESV, but I think the New Living Translation just nails it here, okay? Hebrews 10.29 says this. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Are you regarding the body and the blood of Jesus as common? Have you been trampling on the grace of the Son of God by not giving it the proper recognition and honor that it deserves? Do you view it as common? I don't want to dissuade you from taking communion. It's an amazing and transformative thing, but I do want to warn you. Communion is not a light or flippant thing that we are doing. It's not something that we can do without thought and reflection on the person of Jesus Christ. Every time we come to the table, it must be done with intentionality, with humility, and with joy and awe at our Savior, whose body and blood made us holy. It is anything but common. Lastly, the fourth question, why is communion important? We're gonna try and go through this quickly. So kind of going back to our definition, communion is a holy moment of reverent examination and action where Christians remember Jesus Christ and unify around the greatest equalizer. The price, or the need for salvation and the price that was paid for it. Communion above all things should unify the church. This is something that the Corinthians had a big issue with. Okay, Paul addresses that. Some people were getting drunk, other people weren't even getting communion. Because they were not remembering what the true purpose of communion was, communion became a point of division and dissension rather than unification. Communion should unify the church. If there is one thing that all Christians can rally around, it's the cross. 
no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter what their denomination, no matter what their language or country they are from, no matter what their past looks like, no matter if you've been in church your whole life or if this is your first day as a Christian. No one is sitting at a different level in front of the cross. We are all on our face in awe and humble worship before our Savior. The global church longs for unity. True unity is only found in the cross where the body and the blood of our Savior was poured out for our sins. We are all sinners in need of grace and there's only one place to find it. Let the church unify around the cross. 2,000 years ago, Jesus and his 12 disciples were sitting in an upper room celebrating the Passover meal. And Jesus took bread. And with love and compassion in his eyes, he looked at his disciples and said, this is my body. Broken for you. Remember me. And then he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood. Poured out for you. Remember me. In the same way, Jesus is standing at this table. And he's offering you a chance to remember who he is. And he says to you with compassion and love in his eyes, this is my body. Broken for you. Remember me. This is my blood poured out for you. Remember me. Remember who I am. Remember what I did. I'm your savior. And I died for you. To those of you who aren't Christians this morning, you need a savior. The Bible says that your sin has separated you from God. Romans 3.23 says that the wages of your sin is death. And you have no hope on your own. But God in his unfathomable love and his great mercy sent his son to die on the cross for you. He lived a perfect life, a life that you could never live. He paid a debt that you could never pay. To you, Jesus is standing at this table and he says this, come. Believe in this sacrifice. 
remember me. Flesh was torn from my back. A crown of thorns was pressed onto my head. Nails were driven into my hands, into my feet. At any moment, I had the power to end it. At any moment, I could have ended the suffering. But to die for you and to take the payment for your sin was my joy. To you, Jesus says, come. Believe in me. I am your only hope. Let's all bow our heads. If that's you this morning, if you are in need of a savior, you can come to him right now. His arms are open wide for you. There's no special words that you can say that that make you a Christian, but if that's what you wanna do, if you wanna devote your life to Jesus today, if you wanna believe in his body and his blood for the salvation of your sins, I just want you to repeat after me. You can just repeat silently in your own words. Just pray this, Father, I need you. I've been going on my own. I've been trying to save myself. But today I realize that I am a sinner. And I need your grace. Lord, from this day forward, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came and died on the cross for my sins pain in full the debt that I could never pay. And so today I trust in you as my savior. You are the answer. And today I believe that your body and your blood paid for my sins and made me holy. I want you to keep your heads bowed. If that was you this morning, if you prayed that with me, there is a party in heaven. It says that every time someone gives their life to Jesus, there's a massive party in heaven, better than you could ever imagine. So this morning, if that was you, that's just me up here, do something today that you'd be able to look, up, look back on and say that was the day, that was the day that my life changed. So I just want you to raise your hand. If that's you, just raise your hand. It's just me and you. Amen. All right, you can look up. If that was you this morning, I want you to just tell somebody about it. If you don't want to tell somebody about it, you can go back to our visitor's table. Just write your information and name down on one of the cards. Say that you gave your life to Jesus. We want to help you. We wanna get a Bible in your hands if you don't have one. We wanna rally around you and help you in your journey. Following Jesus, it's the best decision that you'll ever make in your life. So the band's gonna keep playing behind us and we're gonna take communion. And church, I just want you to remember what we talked about this morning.
This is not a flippant thing that we are doing. We are remembering the perfect body and blood of our Savior that made us holy. If you're not a Christian this morning, I would just ask that you would refrain uh, from taking with us. We're not gonna judge you. Believe me, there's not a person in this church that's gonna make you feel uncomfortable. You may even make a few friends in doing it. Brothers and sisters, let this change the way that we celebrate communion. Let this be a day where, where we celebrate communion afresh and new. Let it impact our lives. If you just gave your life to Jesus and, and this is gonna be your first communion, I am so pumped for you. I would love to invite you to eat with us, be with your family. Celebrate the body and blood of your Savior that has just made you holy. That's so awesome. So the band's gonna keep playing and we're gonna take communion. We have a couple tables in the back and on the side. Let us come to the table and remember him. How wonderful. How glorious are my Savior's scars. Victorious. Come to the table in humility and in victory. The blood of your Savior has made you holy. When you're ready, come to the table.